All right, well, tonight, would you turn to Ephesians 5? just want to take a minute in Ephesians 5 and end the Lord's Day looking at um, something that I hope will be very encouraging to you, very specific, but very encouraging. Would somebody, as we begin in Ephesians 5, just tell us it's not in Ephesians 5, but what did Jesus say was the second greatest commandment? When he was asked what's the greatest commandment, Jesus told him what the greatest commandment was, and then he also told him what they didn't ask, which is what's the second greatest very good. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture. What I want us to talk about tonight is from a very practical standpoint, what does that look like? Or maybe backing up a step further, um, who do you have to love because of that command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who do you have to love because Jesus gave that command. Because here, the truth is, knowing many of you, there's some people you would love even if Jesus hadn't given you that command. There's some people you just love naturally. You, you might not love them perfectly without that command. We don't love people perfectly even with that command. But there's some people you're just naturally drawn to. And there are grandkids that love their grandparents, and they would be loving their grandparents even if Christ had never given that command. There's grandparents who would be loving their grandkids. There's husbands that would be loving their wives and wives loving their husbands, parents loving their children and giving and sacrificially. I mean, there's parents, lost parents, who love their kids in a pretty wholesome way who don't even know that command exists. So there are people you'll love, not because Jesus said you have to love your neighbor as yourself. It's just you're drawn to them, and in your own strength, you do love them. But there are other people you have to love, and I have to love, because that command's in the Bible. And it doesn't always come naturally to us. So the question just to begin tonight is, who's our neighbor? And if you remember, Jesus actually answered that in Luke chapter 10 when someone asked him, hey, if I have to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told a parable. Remember the story he told of the good Samaritan. A man on the highway got robbed and beaten and left for dead, and a Samaritan comes along and loves him. So Jesus basically in that parable says, when you have to love your neighbor, your neighbor actually could be somebody tomorrow whose name you don't even know when you get up. You don't even know their name, and yet they're going to fall into this broad category of being your neighbor, and you're expected to love them. So it is our family. It is people in our world, in our sphere, in our circle. We're called to love them. It's also people that you work with. It's neighbors, literally neighbors on your street. It's um, professors for you guys. It's other students for you guys. It's extended family. It's people that may rub you the wrong way. And as Jesus told in that story in Luke 10, it could be people you, you don't even have on your radar tonight, but tomorrow they will come into your world and you're called to love them, just like that Samaritan did in Luke chapter 10. Loving others does not come naturally to us. Not this kind of love. Usually, unless God does a miracle and changes our heart, we're naturally selfish people. We love ourselves. We're awfully important to ourselves. We're the center. And unless God replaces my love for myself with a love for you, I won't love you the way God wants me to love you. So God has to do a work in my heart, otherwise it's all about me. And as he does a work in my heart and I begin to love you, I mean, of the hundreds of commandments in the Bible, for the second greatest one to be how I love you, that's, that's 
very important. And as I begin to love you that way, I begin to value you differently. I esteem you. I protect you. I serve you. I care about you. I'm looking out for you. Well, in Ephesians 5, the passage I want us to read tonight, I think it's a great description of how love acts. We tend to think of 1 Corinthians 13, which is certainly an accurate picture of how love acts as well. Ephesians 5 gives us another um, view of how love actually acts when it puts on flesh and lives out among its neighbors. So just a reminder to the church tonight of what love looks like when we're loving our neighbor as ourself. We're going to start with verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Now, I just want to stop right there and introduce this briefly. In verse 1, we're actually told to be imitators of God. Um, in the original language, the Greek word that's translated imitate there is the, the Greek word that gives us our English word mimic. We're to mimic God. We're to do things because he does them. It's kind of like follow the leader. And so we're mimicking and imitating God in our daily lives. And as we do that, he says in verse 2, we're to walk in love. It's just the way we walk. Now, I want to show you just in Ephesians briefly how important this concept of walking is. Guys, um, our loving each other is not supposed to be isolated acts where I do something for you on Tuesday because I love you, and then I do something again on Friday because I love you. It's not isolated acts. It's how we walk. It's just how we walk through life. We walk in love. But in Ephesians, that concept is very important to Paul. Um, just turn back to chapter 2. I'll just point out a couple of these to you, maybe not all of them. You may not have, have caught these going through Ephesians. But watch how often he talks about how we walk. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So he writes to these Christians, same word, and says, before you came to Christ, you had a certain walk. Here's the way you walked through life. You just walked in your trespasses and sins. That's the, that's the way you walked. You get to chapter 5, and he's like, we don't walk like that anymore. We walk in love. Completely different. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. For we, these new believers, these Christians, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We used to walk in sin, verse 1. By the time he gets to verse 10 in chapter 2, he's actually prepared beforehand. He's preordained some definite works and we're supposed to walk in them. That's how we w walk. We walk in the good works God has planned for us. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have, into which you have been called. By the time you get to chapter 4, he's still talking about walking, but now we're walking holy. We're walking worthy of what God's called us to. Chapter 5, verse 2, the one we just read, you're supposed to walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 8, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in light. You're in the light of the Lord, so walk as children of light. 
You used to walk in darkness, now you walk in light. I'll give you one more, chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. If you follow Christ, you begin to walk in a whole new way. You walk in wisdom, you walk in the light, you walk in love, you walk in some preordained good works that God has prepared for you, as opposed to chapter 2, verse 1, you used to just walk in darkness and sin and death. Church, we, we don't do these isolated, random acts of kindness that the world sometimes talks about. It's just who we are. We walk like this. We walk like this every day. That's the goal. We're walking worthy. We're walking in the light. We're walking in love. You know, occasionally um, over the years, uh, a Christian that I have known, different Christians I've known, will do something that truly is sacrificial. They'll do something that really is amazing, and someone who sees them do it will act surprised, and they'll be like, I can't believe she did that, or I can't believe he did that. And I've caught myself saying before, I'm not surprised at all. That's just who they are. What I'm saying is that's just the normal way they walk. I mean, it is a phenomenal thing they did, but that's not out of character for them. That's just how they walk. They walk through life like that. So that's in their nature. That's in their keeping. That's their stride. That's their stride in life. That's how they walk. That's what we're called to do, and it's a theme through Ephesians. You walk like this. You walk like this. You walk like this. But it's totally different than the way we used to walk. So I would say it probably lines up um, with some of what you guys were studying in James, that good works don't save you, but they're a natural outflow. When, when you come to Christ, it changes the way you walk. I wonder if you've ever walked, I mean, literally, physically, if you've ever walked somewhere you've never walked before. Um, I was thinking this week, as I was studying Ephesians about a time several years ago when I had a chance to go on a mission trip to Africa, and... Um, Late one night as we were about to go to bed, uh, our Southern Baptist missionary that lived there, he, talk, he grabbed me and one of our high school guys that was with us and another man, and he said, hey, you guys want to go with me? I need to go out and find this um, local native pastor. I haven't made contact with him in several weeks. I need to go find him and see how he's doing. And the rest of our team was all getting ready for bed, and we're like, sure. I mean, we were still jet lagged, and so there wasn't any need to go to bed yet. And so we jump in and go with him, and he takes his four-wheel drive vehicle and drives us far out into what I would call the bush of Africa, I had ever been or ever wanted to be. And when you couldn't go any far further in his four-wheel drive vehicle, he got out. He asked our high school guy and the other man to stay and watch the vehicle, and then he said, hey, why don't you just walk with me, and we'll see if we can find this pastor. And we took off walking and walked and walked and walked. It was, it was pitch dark, and we were walking on this footpath that I, did, I found myself wondering, I wonder how many non-indigenous people have ever walked this path. I mean, we were so far out. And I realized I'm walking in a place that's brand new to me. Everything was new. I, I was seeing stars because we were in the southern hemisphere that I had never seen before. That was new. I was hearing people. We were passing these villages. It was so far out in Africa, no electricity, no running water, the, the mud huts in these villages with the, the straw roofs. And they cooked all their meals over fire still, just like build a little fire and cook. You could still see the, the fires kind of glowing, and you could hear. I was hearing languages as we passed these villages that was new to me. I w there were smells that were new to me. I was hearing and seeing animals that were new to me, and I was beginning to feel this fear that was new to me. I realized if, in this darkness, if I lost sight of our missionary, I, they might not find me for 10 years. I mean, I had no idea where I was at. I was walking on a path the terrain was different, everything was new. 
I would say that's similar to what Paul's getting at in Ephesians. Your walk is so radically new. It's so radically different in Christ. It's unlike anything you ever knew before. Everything's new. So you walk in light. You walk in wisdom. You walk in love. You walk worthy. You don't walk like you used to walk. Well, one of those things he describes, one I wanted to look at tonight in chapter 5 briefly, is that we walk in love. That's, that should characterize who we are. We have been changed. We walk brand new. Everything's different. And in chapter 5, verse 2, he says we walk in love. What does walking in love look like? If love is an action, what does it look like when we act like people who walk in love? Well, the best way to understand any verse is to take a look at it in its context. What do the verses right before it and the verses right after it say? So let me just try to give us a few snapshots from the verses around that command, walk in love. Uh, a few um, very specific things we could put our hands on and say this is what love looks like. So let me just give you a few tonight. If you back up, originally as we were telling the Taiwanese students this morning, the Bible wasn't written in chapters. So the verse right before walk in love just flowed right into it. So look back up chapter 4, verse 32. Give you the first description of what it looks like when we walk in love. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. First, walking in love means forgiving. Guys, if we're going to walk in love, we're going to have to forgive each other. It's interesting, as Katrina shared, the Sunday school, one of the Sunday school classes this morning talked about this very thing, that it is about forgiving. That's what people who walk in love do. If we're going to imitate God, as chapter 5, verse 1 says, if we're going to walk in love, we have to forgive people when they fail us. And people will fail us. We don't get the privilege of holding any long-term grudges as much as we might like to nurse those along sometimes. Verse 32 says, Just like God in Christ forgave you, you turn around and forgive other people. That's part of what it means to walk in love. We cancel the debt they owe us. Just like God did for us. We don't stay angry. We don't hope they fail. We don't remain bitter. We don't gossip about them. Now notice, to forgive someone's sin doesn't mean that we ignore their sin. God did not ignore my sin. He acknowledged my sin. He called my sin out. Then he forgave me. To forgive doesn't mean we pretend like it didn't happen. That's not forgiveness. We acknowledge it happened. You may have been wronged very deeply. You're not ignoring that. You're just saying, I acknowledge that. You failed me, and it's a fraction of how badly I failed God, and God forgave me. I can forgive you. Walking in love has to do with forgiveness, and it's forgiveness from the heart. We don't have to turn there, but do you remember in Matthew chapter 6, this will tell you just how important forgiving other people is. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that if you won't forgive your brother his sins, the Father won't forgive you yours. That's not forgiveness in the sense of you being saved. That's forgiveness in the sense of restoring your fellowship to God when you confess your sins as a believer. God's like, yeah, I'm not going to wipe those clean and restore our fellowship if you keep holding a grudge against a brother. It doesn't affect your relationship your, your status with God, it just affects the fellowship. And Jesus says, the Father's not going to forgive your sins unless you forgive the sins of the people around you. 
So guys, sometimes we have this idea of walking in love means that um, I'm just kind to people and that means I love them. And verse 32 does say kindness is part of it, but it's more than that. It's more than just being friendly and being kind. Love has very specific um, snapshots to it that we can see in Ephesians 4 and 5. And the first one is, if I walk in love, I, I, by God's grace, I have the ability to forgive you when you fail me. Number two, keep reading in chapter 5 with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first part of imitating God means forgiving, but the second one, to walk in love, means just giving. Walk in love means to forgive, verse 32, but to walk in love also means we're giving people. Imitate God, walk in love, just as Christ did and gave himself. Jesus gave himself up as a sacrifice, and that was part of how he demonstrated his love. Jesus' desire to meet my need led him to give. So to walk in love means you care about meeting other people's needs to the point where you'll give to see their needs met. Sometimes even sacrificially. You actually give till you feel it. You give till it hurts. If you remember the story in Luke chapter 10 I alluded to earlier, talking about loving his neighbor, the Good Samaritan did give. He gave of his time. He stopped his travel and helped the guy on the shoulder of the road who had been robbed and beaten. Then he gave of his money. When he got to the inn, he paid for several nights and said, if it takes longer, I'll even pay more. He gave of his time. He gave of his money. And he genuinely cared for this man. Most of us by nature are takers. It's easier to be a taker than a giver. The world's full of takers. And sometimes all of us need to take. We need somebody else to shoulder our burden and carry our load, and we, we need to take from somebody else. But we need to focus on also being givers. And this verse says if you, if you walk in love, you're going to give just like Christ gave. We imitate God by forgiving, and we imitate God by giving. I just encourage you in the, in the weeks to come, not isolated acts, but as you walk through life, look for ways to be a giver. Give of your time. Give of your talents. The things that God's blessed you with and you can do them well, see how you could bless somebody else with those very things. Um, give of your care. Give of your concern. Give of your love. Um, give of your patience. Find ways to be a giver rather than a taker. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. God's a giver. It's a sign of love. So walking in love means forgiving. Walking in love means giving. Look at verse 3. Give you a couple more tonight. Snapshots that surround this command to walk in love. <clears throat> verse 3 says, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you because it's improper for God's people, or it's improper for the saints. Number three, walking in love means absolute purity. That's another snapshot in Ephesians 5. Walking in love means absolute purity. How do I treat you if I love you? Well, verse 3 says, nothing impure, nothing indecent. I guard your holiness. 
I protect your purity. I care about those things. And this is another picture of what love looks like as I walk in it. If I just love myself, I might treat you differently. If I just love myself, I may, I may treat the opposite sex differently. But if I'm walking in love, I see you as sacred. And verse 3 says, there's no immorality and there's no impurity among the people who are walking in love. The NIV translates it, not even a hint. The ESV that I just read said, don't even let it be named among you. It's nowhere to be found. It doesn't belong in the camp at all. Not even a hint of it. Do you realize how, how radical a call that was for these Christians in the first century in Ephesus? Immorality was the culture. It was the culture they lived in. Ephesus was absolutely pagan. I mean, it filled every part of society. And along comes God and says, I want you to walk in love, and here's what walking in love means. There's not even a whiff of it in your life. There's not even a hint of it. It can't even be named among you. There's nothing about that that has any part in your world. No immorality, no impurity. Walking in love means you're so unbelievably different than the culture that surrounds you, you keep it totally away from you. It's revealing to me that God includes in that little verse, verse 3, immorality, impurity, and coveting. Why is coveting thrown in there with immorality and impurity? It's because they're oftentimes related. You want something that's not yours. Or you want someone who's not yours. That's what coveting is. You want something that's your neighbor's. You take something that's your neighbor's. And it may be a what or it may be a who. And if it's a who, then it begins to involve immorality and impurity. If we begin to look at everybody that's the opposite sex and say that's somebody else's daughter, that's somebody else's future husband, that's somebody else's future wife, or that's somebody else's current wife, or that's somebody else's current son, and God hasn't given them to me, they're somebody else's. But when we covet, we want something that belongs to somebody else, and that's oftentimes tied to immorality and impurity and adultery and unfaithfulness. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. If you remember the Tenth Commandment in the Ten Commandments, God gave Moses. Remember what it was? We shorten it. We shorten some of them, like, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. But the Tenth one's actually quite longer than that. And he says, I don't want you to covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's servant. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Or don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So even in the Old Testament, he includes coveting your wife, as, uh, your neighbor's wife, as something that might lead to immorality. So part of walking in love as God's people means that I view you differently, and there's absolute purity in our relationships. Number four, got time for maybe one or two more. After that, in verse three, he goes on to verse four, describing what love looks like when we walk it walk in it, and he says in verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Number four, walking in love means holy speech. 
It means forgiving when somebody fails. It means giving to meet other people's needs. It means absolute purity in how we treat each other, and it means holy speech. And he says in verse 4, let there be no. Don't just limit it. I want there to be none. No filthiness, no foolish talk, and no crude joking. If I'm walking in love with you, there's no obscenities. There's no filth, no dirty jokes, no vulgar comments, nothing inappropriate, no innuendos where people are like, I didn't really say that, but you implied it. It's an innuendo. It's only clean words. That's all I have for you if I love you, if I'm walking in love. Why is that? Well, Paul says it's because they're out of place. Those things are out of place. They, they don't belong on this narrow path we're walking where we walk in love. It doesn't fit our new walk. So that means not only do we not say it, now listen, to bring it into where we live today, we don't post anything that's crude ever. We don't text anything that's inappropriate ever. We don't wear t-shirts that have even a hint of anything crude about joking on them. We don't tell jokes or stories that are out of place, even if they would be really funny. We're just like, that's out of place. I'd rather be holy than funny, so I won't tell that one. The world is so profane, church. The world is so the opposite of verse 4. Movies, comedians, most comedians make their living telling jokes that would violate this command. They're, they're, the humor is almost always over the line. So in walking in love, verse 3 says we don't do any of that. Verse 4 says we don't even talk about it. Walking in love changes our actions and it changes our speech. Look back, just to continue taking a look at how all this is in context. Look at verse um, 29 of chapter 4. It's also about speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only... What is good for building up as what benefits the occasion or fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We begin before we speak to ask ourselves questions like, is what I'm about to say clean? Is what I'm about to say appropriate? Is it wholesome? Is it true and honest? Is what I'm about to say, does it build the other person up or does it tear them down? Will it benefit the hearers? And if I can answer yes to all these questions God wants answered, then I say it. If not, it's out of place, and I don't. That's why I think James tells us to be slow to speak. We need to think these things through before we say them. The world's so profane, and we're called to not have a hint of it in our actions or any of it in our speech. So walking in love, the snapshots that show up around that verse involve us being um, forgiving people, us being givers rather than takers. Walking in love means absolute purity in the way we treat each other, and it involves um, only holy speech. I'll give you just one more, and we'll quit at the end of verse 4. Rather than having filthy speech and foolish talk and crude joking, which are out of place, he says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. The fifth snapshot I'd give you is that walking in love means a thankful heart. It means we have a thankful heart. That's part of what it looks like if I'm walking in love. Rather than a filthy mouth, my mouth is filled with thanksgiving. 
part of walking in love changes my heart to the place where I never really get over all the blessings God gives me. I never really get over them. I never get to where I think I deserve them. God owes them to me. I'm, I'm walking in love. My speech is not this filthiness that it used to be. Chapter 2, verse 1, when I walked in sin, I'm walking a brand new path now. And part of that is it creates this overflow in my heart where I just cannot believe how good God's been to me. I can't believe the salvation he's given me. I can't believe the Christian friends he's given me. I can't believe the forgiveness he's given me. And so my heart remains grateful. I think that's a characteristic of people who are walking in love. Rather than being perverted and coarse and degrading, all that is replaced with words of thanksgiving. Our world celebrates Thanksgiving on one day in the fall. For Christians, every day is Thanksgiving. That doesn't mean eat like Thanksgiving every day. That just means every day that's what's flowing out of your heart. Every day is Thanksgiving for us. If God lets me see one more sunrise, it's more than I deserve, right? If I get to see the sunrise tomorrow, God's grace has given me one more day than I deserve. And so I get up tomorrow grateful. And whatever comes my way tomorrow, he's got it. It's under his control. And I'm not going to, hopefully, by his grace, not let it steal my thankful heart. Well, here's kind of what I thought I might do to end if we had time before we go and just have some fellowship time together. We started just by asking you what in your Sunday school class did you learn this morning? <clears throat> just to give us a chance to live out what we just read. And I just want to take a minute or two to do this. If we're walking in love, then God has replaced this filthy speech with a thankful heart. W would anybody, and I would love to hear three or four or half a dozen, something you're thankful for tonight that you probably would not have been thankful for if God hadn't put you on a new path, if you weren't a Christian? What are the things we're thankful for because we're on this path? We're now walking in love. That that characterizes everything about us, or at least it should. Not doing these isolated, random acts of love. It's just who we are. We walk in love. So we treat each other with purity, and we, we guard our speech, and we forgive each other, and we give sometimes even when it hurts rather than being a taker, and we have a thankful heart. So let's end tonight by having that thankful heart. Would anybody be willing to say, God's worked into my life as, as he's growing me as a Christian? Here's something I probably wouldn't have been thankful for if I were... 20, or if I were 50, or if I were 60, or if I were 40. If I wasn't a Christian, I might not be thankful for this, but it's on my list tonight because I'm a Christian, and I'm thankful for this. Would anybody, let's just give us a chance to obey this verse where we have a thankful heart, and we end tonight by just giving thanks. Anybody willing to do that? I'm thankful for this. What? <laughs> Sam? Very good. Yeah, we, we would not be thankful that God was pointing out our faults, but now that we're in Christ, we appreciate that. We're, we're grateful that God's still working on us. That's an excellent specific. Somebody else, something specific you're thankful for be, that you wouldn't have been thankful for except you're on this new path. 
Very good. Very good. You know, I, I think as Brandon mentions that, where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I call them by name, and I can lead them to great pasture, and, and just being grateful that God knows where the good pasture is for us, that he can get us um, We're grateful for that. Those are two great ones. Somebody else, something you're grateful for tonight. Megan? Excellent. Boy, that's, without Christ, none of us would be grateful for the, when we grow impatient, we're like, God's timeline isn't exactly our timeline, and, and yet because of God's grace in our life, we can say, I even thank God for the waiting periods. That's huge. Excellent. Very good. Very good. God's word and the fact that he can, we don't always have to open up the pages. It can be hidden in our hearts as we've read it and thought about it and memorized it. Maybe one more before we go. Anybody else something you're thankful for? Very good, Katrina. Well, I'll just remind you tonight, this is not the way the world loves. What we see surrounding this command to walk in love is not the way the world loves. But I pray that by God's grace, the world would have to recognize there's this crazy group of people on the west end of Huber, and they're loving like nobody else. They'll forgive they're givers rather than takers. They're crazy committed to absolute purity. Their speech is absolutely holy. And they're filled with thanksgiving. And I pray we can walk day in and day out. That's the new pattern. That's the new stride of our life. We walk in love. Jesus, we thank you tonight. We, I think of the verse that says that we love you because you first loved us. You're, you're the reason that we can walk in love. You're the one that started this in our lives it's because your love has been shed abroad in our hearts. You've planted the seed that lets us love. Um, just remind us and encourage us tonight to be the kind of people who, who walk differently. And because this is the second greatest commandment, how we love our neighbors, this is hugely important. Help us not think of love in vague terms, but very specific terms, like the ones laid out here. I thank you for these people and the fact that we experience love among each other that's different, and I pray that would only grow in the days to come. In Christ's name, amen.